We are in our spirit's hands now, you and I. <laughs> Remember, whatever happens, death is not the end. This is In The Cut, and hello, I'm Jesse. I am joined, as I always am, by Aaron. Hi, Aaron. Hi, Jesse. We're talking this time about The Serpent and the Rainbow, a movie by Wes Craven. May he rest in peace or rise from the dead, whichever. Uh, let's go with that one. Okay. He could haunt our dreams. May he haunt our dreams. Yeah, may I he haunt our dreams. That would be appropriate. Absolutely. May he ever haunt our dreams. Um, before we start, though, I want to give the warning I always give at the beginning of these episodes that we delve directly and enthusiastically into spoilers and talk about the entire movie right away so this conversation is best uh, listened to and possibly enjoyed if you have recently watched or rewatched the movie you can go to indicut.org to see ways to watch or rewatch it or watch it any way you'd like and uh, we will get to the nitpicking momentarily are these numbers accurate i mean the shift seems radical i know but it's double blind triple checked these are typical brain scans from some of our subjects very focused. It targets only certain areas of the brain. Here, vital functions. Breathing, heart rate. Mm-hmm. It's like somebody turned it off with a switch. But here, in the areas of the brain controlling sensory awareness, thoughts, and emotions. Bang. So the animals know what's happening to them? Yeah, the entire time. A man would, too. You'd hear, see, maybe even feel, think. But you couldn't do anything about it. You'd just lie there looking dead and be buried. But you'd be alive. With the passing of Wes Craven, we wanted to... We're actually... I I mean, I should start by saying we realized we had never talked about a Wes Craven movie, although his era and style (laughs) are never far from our minds. And obviously he's one of the great horror movie directors, especially of the kind of the 80s, 90s. And it's, see, we seem to overdo for one anyway. So with the passing of Wes Craven, we thought we should pick one. And we wanted to pick one, I mean, maybe just speaking for myself, but that wouldn't be one that was an immediate go-to. Like, Yeah, the, this isn't Screamer Nightmare on Elm Street. Exactly, uh-huh. right. Yeah, he's done quite a few movies. And uh, we wanted to try and look for one that you know, maybe wasn't already being talked to death. Um, I don't know. We should have done Swamp Thing. We probably should have done Swamp Thing, which I never had realized until, you know, this week was him. Um, the Serpent of the Rainbow, I think, is very much worth watching. What, how, how would you compare this watching to the one when you were a teenager? Uh, when I was 14, I didn't realize that movies should have any kind of structure or anything. I was just like, there's a rad zombie. Um, there's a sex scene. And then like a scorpion came out and his head fell off this movie is rad as hell (laughs) oh nowadays i still feel the same way about all those things but structure would have been nice as well it reminds me less of any Wes craven movie and more of a movie like nightbreed honestly (laughs) i mean Wes craven movies a lot of times they do have a better structure there's a real like kind of setup um stakes 
uh, unfolding plot and, you know, kind of like struggle and then pay off at the end. And I thought that this seemed to be missing a lot of that and it was a lot more kind of a wash in itself. And I didn't, did you read anything about the production or do you know anything about A little bit. But I mean, it just, it really feels like that the studio or whoever was, you know, had the rights to the book were really into getting, you know, the story of the book told. Wes Craven wanted to do an extended voodoo fight. (laughs) (laughs) They both kind of got their way. (laughs) Right. Um, But yeah, those were two different movies. Um, And uh, whenever they tried to mesh the two, they got, got something weird. Right. I mean, this whole, so the story starts with a book, a, a, ostensibly nonfiction book by Wade Davis that's the, that bears the same title. And I, I wanted to look up the book. My impression, which is maybe a totally... It was just like one of those books in the 80s that was like, you know, hey, white people, here's a foreign culture that you don't know anything about. You're kind of dumb. Magic is real. <laughs> but science. Science that's, also. That's the impression makes I it get. Real. Yeah, and that... Um, and that like he, a, you know, 100th monkey fucking Whitley Stryver's communion. Just, you know, you don't have any way of looking this up. I'll call it a true story. <laughs> aliens. Um, <laughs> one of these books. Um, right. But with voodoo. Right, and I think that it did. It, it was really influential because I remember around this time there was sort mm-hmm. of a buzz around it, and I was pretty young to be remembering the specifics real well. But that, yeah, it's like, oh, well, here's where the whole zombie mythology comes from. There's this real thing in mm-hmm. Haitian voodoo where there's these real, like, chemicals blended from these real organic sources and, or I don't know, whatever, mm-hmm. natural sources. And that explains it all. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> type of thing that that really was kind of part of the public consciousness for a little bit there. Yeah. And also I think a lot of like actual research like what what is voodoo actually you know I think they right. did get you know a lot of the particulars around the terminology and everything right. Um I mean again I haven't read the book but it feels like the the book sections of the movie are uh, Right, which is pretty uh, pretty much the beginning, I think, of the movie, and that's about it. But yeah, I mean, it's it, it, looking back on it now, I think it's easy to to look at way, things that it got wrong or things that it, you know. I, I'm the I'm the least qualified human being on earth to talk about how like culturally right it gets like these kind of like religious traditions or Haitian culture or anything like that. But um, uh, well. I, I, I used to live across the street from the white people voodoo temple. So, <laughs> right, right. The the New Orleans uh, and to lesser extent, I think Mississippi kind of voodoo scenes coming from uh, maybe a lot of people who watched this movie uh, yeah, twenty years ago. Maybe. Uh, historically, coming from some Haitian uh, slavery and immigration and stuff. So, 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 yeah. I, I mean, I, th- I think there's it, it. It goes without saying. I think that the that it gets a lot wrong in in ways that I don't profess to be an expert on but also i mean coming into like you're saying with the book especially coming into a scene where when you had like the u.s marine corps station in haiti and they're like sending back stories of voodoo and these evil rituals and from whence we get all like the kind of like cartoonish ideas about voodoo and witch doctors and all these things uh it's it's at least some small part of an antidote to that kind of perception of voodoo and, and Haitian culture. So in that sense, you can kind of appreciate it. And I like that. I like that they went and they, I like that they shot on, uh, on location in Haiti and, you know, I think used a lot of 
uh, people, like, didn't import all the extras. Mm -hmm. Please, Mozart. This is important. My friend represents powerful interests, rich American interests. America. That's right. They have an enemy they would like to turn into a zombie. A zombie, huh? <laughs> that is all. That's all. One hundred dollars. So yeah, this book kind of comes, you know, hits the scene and then gets a lot of people talking and it's, you know, there's all kinds of questions about how actually scientific it is or how much of this is kind of sort of invented or sort of reinterpreted or whatever. But it sparks the imaginations of people. And so Wade Davis is like gets optioned for a movie. He tries to set terms on it that it um, and, what and I Wade wrote Davis this down. Is, this is real life Bill Pullman. This is real life Bill Pullman and the author of the book The Serpent mm -hmm. and the Rainbow. Um, he 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 staked it on uh, Peter Weir directing and Mel Gibson starring in the film. Mm -hmm. You obviously would be a little bit of a different film. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, try and imagine that you're the writer of the book The Serpent mm -hmm. and the Rainbow, and then you go and see the movie The Serpent <laughs> and the Rainbow, and Wes Craven has a guy nailing your dick to a chair. <laughs> Which isn't in the book. <laughs> oh, I imagine that was taken from the book. But you know, no, no, none of that. He oh. had no, he had no problems with local uh, warlords or politicians in the book. Um, okay, well, I don't know. Might maybe he deserves it. Okay, <laughs> I'm not going to say he deserves to have his dick stapled to a chair, <laughs> but maybe he deserves the West Craven adaptation. Right. That might be appropriate. Right. Do you think the studio gave it to West Craven just? Because dream Maybe. sequences, dream yeah. powers. I don't know. I, I I think that. Well, I think they see a zombie angle and they want a horror director. Mm -hmm. And at this point, Craven has just suddenly become a prestige horror director and I'm specializing in dream powers. Right, but I think that he probably brought a lot of that. Mm -hmm. um, I, I I don't think that mm -hmm. that was what they. I don't think they saw a script about dream powers and said Wes Craven. I think they saw a script about zombies and said Wes Craven and Wes Craven said dream powers will add a lot to this movie. <laughs> um, but that being said, I really thought that was interesting. I really, really did. I really liked that we have zombies who are complete victims from the first moment of the movie. The zombies mm -hmm. are not like the monster of the movie. They're kind of the pawns of the movie. Yeah. There's not a lot of zombies in the movie, really. No, really, no. No, and, and I thought that was that showed some restraint, too, that they didn't... He, he didn't cash in on, like, any of the Romero-style, like... Well, they could have a scene where a bunch of mind-controlled re returned from the quote-unquote dead people are banging down a door, but there was just no scene like that. Uh -huh. I mean, it may have been a better ending to a movie about zombies than a chair fight, but... <laughs> I don't know if you want to have some plot through lines. Right. <laughs> right. If you, I mean, if you want to talk about the ending, I think, I thought that the the reason that this one and a half hour long movie seemed like a two and a half hour long movie to me was mm -hmm. just really the last 20 minutes just seemed endless. And I thought that the kind of the second. It had already felt like two hours by the time we got back to Haiti for me. Really? <laughs> <laughs> And at that part, at least, it was like, hey, it's bonkers now. Right. I'll just, <laughs> I'll just enjoy that. Right. 
Yeah, it's a weird structure for a movie. I mean, you can definitely make a movie work, and it's popularly done in horror movies where you seem to have returned everything back to its normal state, the goal is accomplished, and then it turns out we have to go back, or the monster's not dead, or whatever. You get get the nice kind of wrap-up, return-to-normalcy thing as a head fake, and that can be obviously used really effectively like an alien, like in a lot of slasher movies. And it's, I mean, very famously uh, Wes Craven used very well or overused <laughs> um it's he's you know kind of the like one more scare guy hmm. mm-hmm. um so i i liked not just that the zombies were kind of like there and part of the mechanics of the story um but not like the banging down the door and crashing through the mm-hmm. window villains but i also liked that that I mean, just taken purely in the universe of the movie, the zombies were explained 100%. Right. But that there was still a second layer behind that, which was this kind of like bottling of spirits and controlling people. And so you sort of got to have some of the fun of, you know, remember when we were talking about uh, Prince of Darkness, how it was fun to kind of bring a scientific mm-hmm. analysis to a supernatural thing that that I like. I liked that you kind of got to have it both ways. In the Serpent of the Rainbow, too. Oh, I did. I didn't like that. Okay, but, I, <laughs> but they did do that. They did try and have it both ways. Right. Again, it's a situation where the the book ends with here is the scientific explanation for everything that happened, and you can see the movie kind of goes that far and then tries to go further mm-hmm. and say like, well, okay, so there's these. You can chemically put someone into it catatonic deathlight state but then there's also the stories of them coming out and being controlled by these like uh puppet masters so maybe what what if we explore the, the kind of supernatural too okay. you know, i mean i really wish i'd i'd read up on the book but I, sure. I feel like it was one of those books where it's like yeah also the the magical spiritualism part hmm. what if right what right. if this is true right um we're not saying it is but we're <laughs> Um, you know, it gets tedious at some point when you're just like, kapow, zang, you're, you know, now there's, now you're shooting fireballs, now you're levitating, now they're whatever, you it's know. It's because they had dream powers. Right. Or, they had different things. It's <laughs> right. because there was different things going on. And right. so they had a fight with magic. <laughs> It was crazy. One minute to be in such beauty and peace, the next surrounded by secret police, the Tumpum Makut. And strangest of all, in the middle of all of this, I couldn't get my mind off the zombie Kristoff. Why would they do such a thing to him? I mean, our hero is pretty much a turd. One thing I had... <laughs> <laughs> There is that. Yeah. One thing I had in mind before I, you know, before really thinking about, okay, well, it's based on these experiences of this white guy going to Mm -hmm. Haiti and being a fish out of water and being shown all these rituals and things. Mm And one thing I thought was like, boy, this would be a really good movie if the fish out of water was just a black guy. Yeah. Well, yeah, that wasn't done back then. Like if he was, was, I mean, he could be American and he he, do, he wouldn't have to be like originally born in Haiti or anything. Mm-hmm. He could be just as like fish out of water. A lot of what yeah. was going on there that was just it's like. It's pretty bad when you, you don't know, yeah. some of the actual history of Haiti. Because uh, your white guy just kind of blunders through and doesn't give a shit and, and is like kind of just dismissive and shitty to everything around him. And some of that is the writing and some of that is Bill Pullman. <laughs> 
either of them would be bad enough on their own, but they sort of have a multiplying factor on each other. If only they could have gotten Mel Gibson. (laughs) Bastion of cultural sensitivity, Mel Gibson. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what Bill Pullman's doing in this movie. I don't know. He seems like he's trying to play a teenage guy, sort of, in a way. Like, he's trying to be kind of just like, hey, I'm cool, or whatever. I I think he's supposed to, he's like trying to, like Han Solo, it you know. Yeah, he's, that's he's, a he's better. A, he's a lovable rogue. Yeah, he's, uh, you know, just isn't phased and. Right in the way in the weird like kind of protracted fake out of the guy selling him the fake powder, <laughs> just you know, levels and levels of dumb. It was really like watching it like an elementary school play kid trying to do James Bond. <laughs> And just be like, no, I'm suave. I know, I'm, I know smarter than everybody here. Watch me get him. <laughs> I mean, sure, it's hard to play a fish out of water, but still feel of a piece with the movie. I can believe that. Mm-hmm. But he just seemed like he was from the, a different movie. Oh. And it's funny because I really, really liked almost everybody else in the movie, and I really loved uh, Mozart, the guy, mm-hmm. the guy who ultimately does walk him through getting the powder and, and casting the spells and stuff. I, I thought that that was a perfectly cast role. And they got, that actor had a lot. It was so much fun to watch. Um, I was angry he never gave him the $1,000. He's like, well, I'm leaving town. I don't have the $1,000. <laughs> no way I could get it to you. And he doesn't have mail. <laughs> See you later. I'll tell people about you. <laughs> I thought that I'll tell people about you think sort of worked because it, it sort, so it of, sort sp- of did. But what that guy wants is a thousand dollars. Give him a thousand dollars in the I- mail next week. <laughs> I don't know. They did. They, they did enough to make it work. They had him. Yeah. They had him kind of like. Yeah, but still give him the money. <laughs> right. Give him the money. Sure. I don't know. Were we supposed to believe that watch was worth a thousand dollars? Because maybe it was. I don't fucking know anything about watches. It did tick. He held it up to his ear to tell that it wasn't a non-working watch. Oh, that's just a thing you do in a movie when there's a watch in the scene. You hold it up to your ear for some reason. It's like kicking the tires of a car. Yeah. I had a ton of fun with him. I thought the um, the female lead was okay. I don't, you know, she, yeah. she was... Boy, on- giving them the love story was not a good decision. <laughs> <laughs> no, they had zero, zero um, chemistry on screen. Also, I, I mean... The, I was, the whole thing was unnecessary to the plot. Oh, boy, the, the fuck cave scene, though. That was... That was something. That was... I yeah. mean, they're at apparently the, uh, you know, the thousand-person voodoo orgy. Right. I mean, who? why, why do they get the private cave? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's because she called in advance. Oh. She, knew, she um, knew they were coming. I may have even made that joke at the time. But, uh... <laughs> and also, I mean, you just think back to Mickey Rourke and Lisa Bonet in the blood room and just wish you were watching that movie. If you have you seen Angel Heart, <laughs> yeah, better voodoo sex in that film. Okay, better. So a lot of things, right, baby. The part in the movie immediately after. I mean, sorry to keep coming back to this, but this is a movie where they take the author of the book the movie was made from and put a nail into his dick or and or scrotum. Um, Only scrotum. And, we've been, we've, and that's just, like, mind-blowing to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do I need to mention that the author of the book didn't like the movie? <laughs> I, I assume that that part must have come from a real... It is completely made up from right. a movie. Yep. The, in, uh, what's his name? Uh, Wade Davis said that the biggest struggles he had was 
trying to get through customs with like plants from Haiti. <laughs> he said that was the biggest hurdle he had in the in the entire endeavor. So I don't think he was ever in a uh, uh, dick torture room. One of the things that the ensuing scenes remind me about the entire rest of the movie doing wrong is that Bill Pullman, like, in voiceover, says, here's how horrible it was. But I was okay, because here specifically, (laughs) in more detail than is strictly necessary, is why my dick and balls are okay now. (laughs) And then his character in the scene says it, too, to the girl. (laughs) And it's like... Why is that being said twice? And then I think of the rest of the movie and I think, why is everything being said twice? (laughs) Because there is a completely unnecessary voiceover going through the entire movie and not a single thing that the voiceover says is not repeated in the ensuing scene. Um, Like here, I was thinking, hey, those must just be quotes from the book and Mm. they must have some, you know, stipulation that they are including so much text from the book or something. But apparently that is not the case. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's possible for some of it, but not, but most of the movie was made up. (laughs) So it's not, it couldn't be. Yeah. That's actually a good thought because I can't imagine what the purpose of it. Otherwise it's so uh, insulting. Um, and he does such a bad job at the voiceover. <laughs> he, do, I mean, he's not not that he's like giving the performance of the year in the role either. There's moments where I like him a little better than other moments, but the voiceover is just agonizing. It's not good, and it's ever present. One more thing I liked about this movie, um, I really liked how it was shot. I really liked the color palettes in all the Haiti scenes. I thought they were really restrained, but also like lush and gorgeous. Um, they got to point the camera at a lot of fun stuff. I really, really liked the processional up the mountain with the oh, Virgin yeah, Mary. Was, it was yeah. just awesome to watch. And then the ensuing kind of like candle whatever sleepover party in the woods uh-huh. thing that happened after that just very very tame voodoo orgy <laughs> yeah, right. voodoo nap orgy I, I liked some of the stuff that where they were they were filming real uh, haitian and dominican dancers doing stuff i liked the uh some some of the little bits in there the guys biting the embers and then spitting them from his teeth and stuff like that they, there was a lot of fun stuff to kind of keep the movie interesting and kind of visually mm-hmm. and a lot of it was just i mean not not pivotal to the plot, but just kind of like, hey, while we're here, here's some cool stuff. And I also liked the score a lot. I think that Wes Craven in the um, Nightmare on Elm Street series uses a lot of kind of futuristic, synthy, sci-fi stuff to kind of create stings and s- dread and tension and and unpleasantness. And in this, he wisely drew a lot on kind of like drum-centric and kind of like really like low rumbling uh, tones and music um, stings. Were, he was getting a little synthy in the, you know, towards the chair battle side of the movie. Yeah. Um. Right. Again, he he starts to draw just pure from like 
zany dream you know like that scene where bill pullman like busts through a door and then is swinging in the gravity going the wrong direction thing because just lifted could be lifted straight from any nightmare on elm mm-hmm. street movie but it was also fun uh-huh. i don't know it was yeah. good extra long arms they're spooky yeah i know that's another thing that was a that fit right into his corpus um, uh Degales on the score oh really doing the, the voices of the spooky demons very cool yeah nice yeah definitely 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 good to look at um a lot of the time and as long as no one was acting around <laughs> um had a nice goat good goat in the movie that was a good goat i think that they i, I liked how much of the real culture they tried to bring into it i liked of just like what there was to look at and listen to in the movie i think it it went on too long which is dumb for an hour and a half long movie Mm -hmm. but it just seemed like it because of the construction of the plot i don't think you can have the false coda and then the return to the scene of the crime thing and then the last 30 minutes and have a two ending where the guy is dead you've won the gigantic fight against Mm -hmm. the enemy and then he's back and you have to have a whole second gigantic fight don't do both of those in the same movie please because it just ends up making the the climax just intolerable when he had already been killed and he came back with teleporting superpowers (laughs) and then was just defeated by being punched a bunch yeah, that was, right. uh, that was a little edgy It's like, oh, he's he's powered up, and now he can like fly through the air out of mirrors. Yeah, Pun- it's like they forgot <laughs> to they forgot to give Bill Pullman the thing that wins ever. You know, it's well, like they the, did get first, to control a chair. He it's it had that like intense uh, superimposition of the jaguar <laughs> face over him, and he's like, now I have the power of the jaguar, and then like, so what is he gonna do now? And he's just like punch (laughs) and that was it i mean of course like then all the spirit jars break open and he gets dragged to hell which sure that works but then like later you have to he flies out of a wall and then i guess you need a second bill pullman punch i don't i didn't think that was a good payoff i mean whatever you can have a you can have an anti-climax with your hero not being an ultimate karate badass that's fine i don't need every hero to be a karate badass in the last act of the film but if you're gonna drag it out that long at least give him something to do besides like one limp-wristed punch uh and then a second one in the second ending (laughs) you're correct all right i think we can wrap it up do you think so yeah i mean Jaguars. We covered the Jaguars. Yeah. You so here, Jaguar. Uh, you want to play with one? You, I Aaron. would love to play with a Jaguar. <laughs> I would like to cuddle and roll around. Apparently, they're one of the more tameable large cats. They will um, hardly ever bite you. He never did anything to earn the Jaguar spirit totem. He re- he wrestled force. it. He wrestled it into happiness. No, I think it was just yeah. Um, he was he was a white guy. Right. A magical it, white guy. Yeah, if you do the drugs, you get a spirit animal. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it works. Um, yeah, I want to wrestle a jaguar. Okay. Uh, sex scene was better in Angel Heart. Okay. Yeah, that's my takeaway. Good job, Wes Craven. Yeah. Thanks. You did fine. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for your movies. Yeah, we didn't do Shocker. 